Welcome to Myo Matters, your modern, current and up-to-date myotherapy podcast from Myotherapy Australia. We thank you all for listening to and sharing our podcast and we hope that you've been learning a lot. Today our guest is no stranger to myotherapists in Melbourne, in fact across Australia. I have the pleasure of being joined by the Director of Advanced Clinical Education, Sean Brewster. Sean's impressive portfolio ranges from being a clinician to lecturing, being a board member and delivering education through ACE. Today, Sean talks about electrotherapy, smart practitioner planning and expanding your skills or knowledge. Please welcome to Myo Matters, Sean Brewster. Thanks for joining us today, Sean. We are so excited to have you on for the Myo Matters podcast. Now, as a myotherapist, we are pretty lucky. We have an enormous tool bag, um, as you can imagine, of things we're able to do. However, it is easy for many that have been in the industry, as you and I have already discussed, you've been in the industry for a few decades, that we often get stuck in our ways. Do you see it being really important that myotherapists and manual therapists expand their skills regularly? And what is the best way that you think it is for people to be able to stay current? Sure, good question. Look, I don't think it's important that people expand their skills regularly. I think it's Mm. more important that they regularly spend time getting to know how the body works at a deeper level. So it's not about having more tools in the toolkit. I think it's knowing how to use the ones you've got really, really well. But more importantly above that is just understanding the human body at a deep level. And then you can use almost any tool effectively. Yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that's um, the key. Like a lot of people get caught up in this uh, habit of just collecting skills, collecting tools for that toolkit. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can day, totally understand. Yeah, yeah. Especially, look, I'm in the line of work of giving people those those tools, and so it sounds kind of sort of sort of counterintuitive for me to suggest that, but I think that um, you can end up with a lot of options for treatment, but not a lot of knowledge on when and why and how you should use those things. And I think that the the when, the why, and the how is is more important than, you know, just the actual the skill itself. Yeah, and I see a lot of people making mistakes. I kind of like it. I use the analogy a lot of for being, a, you know, a shotgun versus a sniper rifle. Like you can throw a, a million things at a problem and hopefully one of them works or you can just use the right thing in the right moment and get the effect you want. I think that's a much better approach to take with patients. And do you think that comes down to therapists truly understanding the anatomy, physiology of the body and then being able to, not so much have an A plus B equals C equation that we can actually go, well, A plus B plus D over there, which I can see you've got going on, gives us maybe this possible X plus B answer. Like it gives us yeah. a little bit yeah. more of a way to actually clinical reason things. 100%. Yeah, clinically reason an answer is is the game. Um, and to be able to do that effectively, you need to really understand how tissue behaves. So pathophysiology, understanding how, you know, when the body breaks or when something's dysfunctional, why that's happened. Uh, and if you, if you tear a muscle, how does that behave versus a ligament versus a tendon versus mm. you know, breaking your bone? Like what, what is the, the pathogenesis of certain problems and, and how, do, how do tissues behave? And when you can understand that, that's what I mean, sort of what I mean by understanding the human body at a deeper level. When you understand that, then you can reverse engineer a solution for that. You know, with with the tools that you've got in that toolkit. I really like the reverse engineering. That's totally what it feels like you need to do sometimes. Mm. Yeah. It's like un, unpack things backwards. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's not about like, hey, I've, I've got a, uh, I know how to do cupping. Therefore, the person that walks in my door next is going to need cupping because because I'll find a reason for them to need cupping. <laughs> I feel like this happens a yeah, lot. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if all you've got is a hammer, then everything's going to look like a nail. So it's it's really just about yeah, not not trying to figure out how you can use your skills to help that person, but trying to figure out what skills are required to help that person, and then getting those skills. Yeah. 
yeah, that is such a valuable and such, I think it's a probably much harder skill to learn than simply learning something to add to the toolkit. Now, this is an interesting one that a skill which I think is probably incredibly fun to do and have in that toolkit, but I would probably think in terms of that perspective where you're coming from, how many actually understand what it is doing is electrotherapy. It is a great additional thing to have on board. Can you help explain to us what it is and possibly in the perspective that you're thinking of what it's actually beneficial for? Yeah, well, first and foremost, I think most people, not most people, a lot of people go out to learn electrotherapy because it looks great on Instagram. It and, really does, yeah. let's face it. <laughs> you know, like I see so many videos and you know, posts about people using electrotherapy, making muscles jump around um, and so on. And, and look, it, it does look good on video, but that's really not the goal. The goal is to, <laughs> like any other modality, it has its place. There's some things that you would use it for 100% of the time and other times not so much. And so... Electrotherapy is one of those modalities I've discovered at least is it fell out of popularity over the last 20, 30 years. It was back when I was first getting into this stuff back in the 90s. I saw it used a lot in physio clinics and places like that. And mm-hmm. and then it sort of faded away. So interferential machines were back, you know, big back in the day. Now you don't see them at all. And ultrasound was big and now you hardly ever see it anymore. And, yeah. and so electrotherapeutics, and there's there's lots of different forms of that, has kind of gone through waves. And it's not through lack of evidence. That's the interesting part of it. You know, we see things drop away because there's a lack of research to support their, their use. Electrotherapy actually has um, mountains and mountains of research to support it. And a lot of it's really current still, which is great. And so I think it's one of those things that's sort of making a bit of a comeback because people are remembering it. The downside, of course, is that there's not really any space to teach it in any great degree of depth in undergraduate programs. So yep. you and I you and I have the same myotherapy degree, same qualification, different times through uh, history that we've we've achieved that qualification. But mm-hmm. essentially that that qualification is the same. And we probably did a, a little bit in our courses. I know I did a little bit, you would have done a little bit. Yeah, correct. But a little bit is not really enough to really understand how to use it effectively yeah, in all situations. <laughs> yeah. And you know the sad part is I, I speak to a lot of practitioners from all different modalities and none of them have learned it to a level that's really appropriate. Yeah. And so from a modality perspective, it's one of those things early on that made a lot of sense to me. I thought, well, you know, we're working with the nervous system, essentially with everything we do, everything comes back to this nervous system. It's the control center for everything. And so how does our nervous system communicate with all of our tissues and organs uh, via electrical impulses? So what if we were able to use the actual language that our nervous system uses, which is electricity? So that as a, a basic understanding kind of piqued my interest and I, and I did some further study and reading and research myself and then found that there was a huge scope for its use across lots of different types of uh, mm. approaches and then from that developed a course and now teach it all over the place and it's become a mainstay in the way I treat now as well with clients too I use it a lot of the time way more than I thought I would have but that's yeah. only because now I have a better understanding of how it works and where you would use it. Yeah and I was about to say it really is sounds like it from your perspective that it's not so much about teaching it and it looking beautiful on Instagram Mm -hmm. but it is actually about understanding what's actually happening when we put the needles in we have the electrical current going through there what's actually happening on a brain level what's happening on a nervous system level what's happening on a muscular level like understanding all of those different layers Mm. so you as a therapist can fully understand what effect your treatments have yeah, that's right. And there's some really major uh, misunderstandings, misconceptions about, you know, why you'd use it. Like, for example, TENS, which is one of those things that's kind of 
people have thrown that baby out with the bathwater a lot of the times because you can buy a TENS machine from Aldi. Like, you know, how effective could it possibly be if you can buy one of these machines from a, <laughs> hey, from hey, a, from hey. a supermarket? Hey, 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 there's a lot of cool stuff we can buy at Aldi, okay? <laughs> 100% agree with that. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but because of things like that, people, you know, dismiss it. But it's it's because it's super safe. That's why you can sell it at Aldi, those machines. But it's exceptionally effective for treating pain. Then when you've got something like EMS, uh, which a lot of us you know, use with um, needles and so on, that has a whole different kind of scope of practice to it. You know, you're not using that. You can use it for pain, but it's really more effective for reducing muscle tension, increasing muscle tone in some cases, depending on how you use it, treating neurological conditions, a whole scope of things. Then you've got things like microcurrent therapy, which is subsensory. You don't actually feel anything, which is a really hard sell when you're using it on clients because yeah, I can imagine <laughs> our clients want to feel something. That's why they come and see my therapist. Um, but again, with the right explanation and in the right situation, it's a incredibly powerful tool for treating um, pain, uh, neural sensitization, uh, healing tissue. And again, there's mountains of research to support that. So there's different modalities for different outcomes. Um, and I think that, yeah, that's a big problem with electrotherapeutics is a lot of people just assume that electrical current is electrical current and frequencies and, and pulse widths mm. and things like that don't matter, but they actually matter a lot. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. When you understand what neurons are firing in those regions and what musculature or what kind of structure you're in and how they communicate with the next one and the brain, those things such as frequency and pulse width really become very important to it's kind yeah. of like me speaking to you in Spanish. If you speak English, it doesn't really work like that. <laughs> Won't make any sense to me. That's right. <laughs> now, and you've probably heard this a lot when it comes to things such as electrotherapy or even cupping, which I know you also teach as well. And gosh knows the mirror of any other techniques that I know you would have done across your, your years is that many people do them as a way to save their hands, which I'm personally not a giant fan of and that I think there's other reasons why we need to take these up. Do you see these additional skills as extending a therapist's life or how do you actually see that in that kind of concept? Yeah, I know a lot of therapists who work incredibly physically in the way that they work and they've done it for decades and decades and they get away yeah. with it because, they one, they look after their body and, two, they've spent time, I guess money as well, but spent time investing in what I was talking about before, understanding the human body at a deeper level. And so the thing that will get you more longevity out of your career is not having more skills or being able to work more hands-off. Well, those things help. I think the more important thing is being inspired by the work that you do and being interested and curious and, and find, you know, finding that every day that you can learn something new from your clients. Mm -hmm. And then you know, something walks through your door that you've never seen before. And you go, wow, this is fascinating. And you go home excited to learn something new. And then you go, excited to go back the next day and help that person with the thing so yeah look if you want to get more out of your career continually work on what's going on in your head like increase that brain power your own brain power your own understanding and knowledge of what's going on with the human body and then yeah look you can learn to work smart rather than hard but I think working hard yeah. is not necessarily a bad thing I'd, mm -hmm. I'd say work smart and hard you know you're going to get more out of <laughs> you get more out of your output and your clients will get yes. more out of that as well so I think yeah that's the answer is you know, longevity comes not through the skills that you use while they do help. It's more about what goes on between your years. And is that also too in terms of, you know, if we have pathophysiology, the anatomy and understanding what our treatments are doing, that we're selecting a suitable treatment rather than wasting our time possibly on a treatment that is not as effective. So mm. we're kind of in that way we are saving because we are more, we're picking what is more suitable at that time. Yeah. Like I'm sure that I spent, 
way more time treating really simple things with clients in my early days of, of being a clinician. Like I would have spent five, six sessions getting someone to where I think I could get them now in one or two. And that, yeah. again, just comes down to understanding that human body and, and being able to mm-hmm. select the right options for the person. And, you know, that that sounds like a bad business decision, really. You think like most people want to get, you know, and I'm like, Put yourself out of business. <laughs> I often get asked for, for advice on business and, and people like look at me funny when I say, you know, you should tell your clients that if you're doing your job really, really well, they should see you once and then never, ever again. Like that's yeah. the old, that's the ultimate, ultimate <laughs> yeah. role I think of, of one of us. <laughs> Yeah, we should treat somebody once, give them all the tools and the skills and the knowledge to look after themselves, and then off they go. That's it. That's the perfect outcome for me. Um, But but at the same time, as a therapist, look, I'd much rather see a new client every day than the same one fifty times. Yeah, you know that's that's more interesting for me as a therapist uh, to be able to really problem solve their issues quickly and effectively, and give them the skills that they need rather than have them rely on me as as a practitioner. Yeah, and that's a really important concept that self management. and educating our clients about self-management, their conditions and what they can actually do. And I'm the same. I always say if I see my client, I don't want to see you regularly because if it is, it means I'm I'm not doing my job. I'm missing something. Mm. Um, as much as I love them and I like to see them, um, I don't want to see you because it means I'm missing something at that point. It's a different perspective to come at it and they were really focusing, I guess, on making sure that we are encouraging self-management um, and self-control of people's pain themselves. Yeah. Now, I guess I can't leave having someone like yourself that has been through the industry and its multiple changes without asking you, what do you think has been our biggest change in the manual therapy world over the years that you've been in it? Well, that's a tough question. There's been so many big changes. Oh, I know. There's, there's been a lot. What do you yeah. think has been, I guess, the most successful or something that you've really appreciated has occurred? For me, the shift from us and them mentality. Um, yes. I've seen particularly my therapy, which is, you know, a really young uh, modality, really. It's only been around for Absolutely. probably 30 years maximum here in Australia. Um, and when I when I first started studying, I did a Cert 4 in massage. It was my first entry to the industry. And back then, Cert 4 was about what the equivalent of the diploma is now, both in skill mm-hmm. and time commitment and also yeah, expectation right. for job outcomes. Uh, and then from there, went on to the diploma and the degree and post-grad stuff. And all the way along, every, every step up the rung that I kind of went as far as academic achievement went, mm-hmm. the people around me were, were talking about others as though they were either elitist or below them. And it didn't make any sense because every qualification that I achieved, I thought, okay, this is more people that I get to work with and communicate with now. And the people that are, had qualifications, say, lower than the one I, than I currently have, well, I was one of those ones. Like, and I saw yeah. validity in what I was doing then, and I still think it's hugely valuable to have a cert forward massage. Like, there's, you know, there's a market for that. There's people that need it. So we're getting better at being inclusive and not being exclusive when it comes to how we view what we do and recognising there is a very important role for every health practitioner to fill. So I don't know whether that's an achievement that the, our industry has kind of um, achieved or whether it's just something that's happened over time, but it, it makes me a lot happier to work in an industry where we have colleagues rather than competitors. Um, I think that's yeah. that's something we need to really push. And it's, it's something that I, um, you know, butt my head up against a wall a lot of the time where I, I teach a lot of modalities that some, some practitioners believe should belong to certain practitioners. So, for example, dry needling should belong to or, you know, joint mobilisation uh, should yes. belong to, whereas <laughs> yes. I'd, I'd rather see every practitioner have all the appropriate skills and knowledge that they should have to help as many people as possible. So at a certain point, the title doesn't matter. 
Yeah. And I 100% believe that to 99.9% of our patients, our qualification or our title matters zero. It matters absolutely nothing to them. They don't care. They go and see Tessa because Tessa helps them with their pain. I'm sure a lot of your patients don't even know what a myotherapist is or that you are yep. even a myotherapist. Yep, yeah? 100%. I know I've had this discussion with Anna before on a different podcast about the fact that we've had clients for seven years and they still actually have no idea what we do. They just appreciate that we help them on their journey and that, yeah, the title, honestly, at the end of the day, doesn't mean that much. It's about how we can actually help our clients um, and that's what matters to them at the end of the day. So I do like that change though that we're having our colleagues and people that can actually add value to what we're already doing. It is a magnificent change and I do like that one. I think that's a really nice one. Well, thanks so much, Sean, for being with us today, discussing our treatments, our skills, and also your thoughts on our ever-growing industry. Um, We really appreciate you sharing your knowledge with us and thanks for being with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Myotherapy Australia is lucky to have Sean Brewster at our annual conference this year as a guest speaker. So if you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure to register for Myotherapy Australia's annual conference. Thank you for tuning in today and don't forget to check out our online store for business manual and communication professional development. We look forward to having you join us again at Myo Matters from Myotherapy Australia. This episode of Myo Matters is proudly sponsored by Advanced Clinical Education. ACE exists to educate, mentor and support health professionals to help them help even more people. For more information, visit www.advancedclinicaled.com. Dot com.